0: Hey guys, my name is Amara Ghatra and you have found my futile optimism. I normally start off by saying how's it, but I'm giving that a skip today because I think I can pretty much guess how everyone feels. It's been a really, really rough week, to say the least, for pretty much every single person that lives in South Africa and that cares about South Africa. So obviously that's what we have to talk about. So I think the only way you wouldn't know what's going on in South Africa currently is if you were staying at the Stanford Lake Lodge that Minister Tito Mboweni tried to advertise, literally in the middle of what we can now call an insurrection. So if you are there, then hopefully this will be informative for you. You can let Minister Mboweni know that he should probably listen to something like this as well. It has been a really crazy time and I think at a time like this you kind of wonder what do people need to hear right now. I thought long and hard about what type of content I would want to make for this week. Um, I didn't really know if people needed like a pick-me-up, some comic relief or like a dose of reality but I think the only answer is that a combination of all of the above is pretty much what we need to make sure that we learn from this and also that we deal with this. There's no way, I don't think, uh, that you can speak about anything in the public without talking about the current context that we live in. It's too easy to ignore for those of us who have any sort of privilege Um, But honestly, the most vulnerable in our society have no choice but to deal with the consequences of what's happened the past week, but also the consequences of the country that's been structured this way for so many years. As I record this, there's a lot of incredible human beings that are doing amazing work, cleaning up different cities, um, trying to make sure that People, especially in case KZN, have enough food, have enough supplies. It also feels a little bit like the sun is rising. Not because I believe in the new dawn of Ramaphosa, but just because I can literally see the incredible amount of goodwill that South Africans have. It's probably an appropriate time to say that when people started calling Saral Ramaphosa cupcake, you helped me be healthier because you put me off cupcakes. So I really appreciate that. If you could maybe start calling Tito something like chocolate, um, or you could call Bekitele something like samosas, I would, yeah, my healthy lifestyle that I'm aspiring for, would really appreciate that. Anyway, I think it's fair to say that the past week has not been healthy for anyone, emotionally specifically, but physically as well now it's important to just say that personally I am really sorry to everyone that's lost something or someone in the riots this past week. I can imagine that it feels like an insurmountable mountain to climb and I hope that there is healing for you, your family, your loved ones, financially, emotionally, physically and um, for all of us as a country. I tried to sort of distract myself because I think I realized that I was consuming way too much and I was just getting quite overwhelmed. So I started watching Superstore. It was an amazing form of escapism. And this is not an ad, but I would suggest anyone that needs some breathing space should do that or something similar. But even though it really helped me distract myself for a while, there is a point in like the last season, I'm not going to spoil anything, Um, there's a point in the last season where something goes wrong and I cried like an absolute baby, like an infant. I wept myself to sleep. And I think I, I generally do have a problem of getting overly invested in fiction, but I, as I was crying, like I realized that I was partly crying because, okay, the story got really sad, but I was also crying because I think I needed like an emotional outlet. So as much as I was distracting myself, I think I did need to find some way to express the confusion and the hurt and the uncertainty and the genuine fear and despair that I was feeling. So I would encourage everyone to just take a moment and deal with the emotional trauma that you've had over the past week. It just made me realize that no matter what I try to do to distract myself, at some stage I, I will need to express myself emotionally. And I think all of us need to acknowledge that and all of us need to sort of let ourselves go through the process of coping with what's happened. And I know that the show is called My Futile Optimism, which implies that there is some sort of a silver lining to the issues that we have, or that, you know, no matter how big our issues get, I still have faith that we'll overcome them. Sometimes it really doesn't feel like that. And the past few days, it hadn't felt like that. I really struggled to look for any sort of light at the end of the tunnel, And I guess what I've learned is that sometimes it's not necessary to look for that light. Sometimes you really do have to try to get comfortable in the darkness. And that is because I think most of our country has been facing this sort of darkness for so long that any sort of light at the end of the tunnel that I could identify would have been artificial and not long-lasting. And that's, I think, the problem. I think I've seen a lot of people, you know, get angry at how others are choosing to deal with the unrest and the riots and the damage that's been caused. On the one hand, there's people who are like, let me be angry. You know, I've lost a lot. I'm really scared. I don't know how myself and my family will recover. And then the other side is saying, let's look at this from an empathetic point of view, And let's try and identify the root causes of this type of unrest. And I think the point is that both responses are fine. Both responses are acceptable. The point is not to try and impose your preferred response onto someone else. It's natural, I think, to have a spectrum of responses. And it's important for each individual to sort of decide what their response is and to listen to that and to honor that. As long as your response is not, I'm going to be racist and shoot at every black person that I see. So we have to kind of talk about Phoenix and what's happening there. And there's been different reports about what's going on, about who has been killed and who has done the killing. And a big part of that is owing to the spread of fake news and how people share information without verifying where it comes from. The problem is that when there is a track record of a certain group Being consistently racist and abusive to another group, it's easy to weaponize that and to spread fake news that abides by those things that already exist. In general, the Indian Muslim community, of which I am from, is too comfortable in their racism. And I'm not obviously saying every single Indian Muslim in the country is racist, but to deny that racism and racist thoughts and opinions permeate the Indian Muslim community is to lie. That's, that's definitely a lie. I know that from my own lived experience. I know that from the lived experiences of my friends who are Indian Muslims. I know that from the lived experience of even my black Muslim friends who are very open about the racism that they experience. So no, we can't ignore that at all. And we can't think that the Islamic obligation to pay charity makes us better people. And that that excuses any racism that we may have. Racism is completely haram. That means forbidden. And there's no way that you can justify your sins by trying to water down racial profiling. And then even further, if you acknowledge that there are these problems that the Muslim community faces that are contradictory to the way that we're supposed to be living, you express that. Kind of like the way I'm doing now on my own platform. You don't take a statement from a different organization and appropriate it to say whatever you want it to say. Especially, especially when racial tensions are incredibly high and dangerous. So that is referring to I have no idea who... Um, someone who took the really poignant and incredibly well-written statement from Abassali Basim John Dolo, the largest grassroots movement in democratic South Africa, and inserted paragraphs in their statement that spoke about how hypocritical the Muslim community is. Now, the Muslim community is by and large hypocritical, but the way that you explain that, the way that you talk about that, is not. By inserting a paragraph into an already existing statement and falsely sending it forward as if that was the original statement. Because that is exactly how you incite violence, you incite opposition, you incite anger that is not based on truth. Abashlali Jondolo's entire existence is premised on the fact that Poor people can speak for themselves and want to speak for themselves and it's up to everyone else to listen. So taking their statement and trying to add your own two cents in the middle of it, which can obviously be interpreted in very many ways, is inherently dangerous and incredibly disrespectful and a violation of their autonomy. Back to how we deal with trauma. If you feel angry at the specific people that damaged whatever you specifically have lost, if you feel anger at the masterminds behind this entire insurrection, if you are just so upset and you really just cannot wait to get out of the country at the first chance you get, I I think that's a fair response. And I don't think it's anyone's duty to tell you to not feel that way. But no matter what your initial reaction was, I think it will be absolutely pivotal for us to deeply analyze what went wrong and what got us here in the first place and that's because I'm pretty damn sure that no matter how you feel and how you reacted what you saw the past week was not something that you enjoyed seeing it was not a good time for anyone no matter how you feel about it afterwards Um, I think all of us were scared all of us are concerned and whether you want to look at the root causes or the problems or whether you want to be angry at the outcomes, either way there's some uneasiness um, and there's some critique to be made of the society that we live in. Some people cope by immediately looking for solutions, others cope by sort of marinating in whatever it is they've been through and then they have an iceberg afterwards when they eventually express themselves. But What is important, I think, is to make sure that we do not let this moment pass once everything feels peaceful. We can never, we must never go back to the way that things were and be comfortable in that space ever again. Not just because it was politically turbulent, but because genuinely a minority of our people were benefiting from the system. And to varying degrees, it's quite obvious that there's people that benefit in different ways. But at the end of the day, most of the benefits were not going to everyone. And everyone was not even facing like a comfortable life. It's not like the person who is the worst off in our country was living any sort of life that is acceptable in a society that apparently cares about human rights. So if we look at the person who is worst off in our country, and we call that the floor of the country, and the person who is the best off in the country, and we call that the ceiling, the gap between the floor and the ceiling, so massive that you would probably need an oxygen tank to just ascend to the ceiling if you were not previously there. If we're going to meaningfully analyze anything, we need to ask what exactly are we analyzing? What exactly happened? Um, And as per President Sir Ramaphosa's most recent announcement on Friday evening, what happened was an insurrection. And that is basically an attempt to overthrow and replace the current authority and government. I've tried to figure this out from Google, but I think the main differences between an insurrection and a coup d'etat is that generally people refer to a coup d'etat if there is some sort of use of military um, and trying to overthrow the government using armed forces, basically. Um, What we saw is a popular insurrection, and that is flipping scary. And this is why I say you need to cry, you need to scream, you need to just make sure that you are listening to your emotional needs because what we're seeing is not something that happens every day. It's not popular criticism or popular dissent or popular protests, which we have a lot of. We are really protest heavy. Um, this is something that was coordinated and I think that is really scary to acknowledge, but it's also important to acknowledge we are far more fragile than we would like to seem. So officially that is what has caused the most economic damage to the country because that's what motivated strategic acts of sabotage on really important aspects of our infrastructure. So that includes things like damaging supply chains, Uh, attacking specific warehouses and trying basically to put South Africa in a very, very, very unsafe position um, in terms of sustainability. So that is the big threat that we had. However, I think it would be a mistake to only see the incidents of the past week as an act of sabotage or as an act of an insurrection and this is because that implies that, you know, get rid of those who are inciting violence, get rid of those who are behind the planning of this insurrection, and then we'll be fine. This problem will not go away if all those who were really excited to try and overthrow the government are just locked up and thrown in jail, and that's it. That won't be the end of all problems. And I think... We wish that was the end of our problems because that is easier to deal with than addressing the real structural problems which we do have. So I think it's fair to say that there are many elements to the riots that we saw. Those who were interested in targeting very strategic parts of our infrastructure are likely motivated purely by this insurrectionist idea of getting rid of Ramaphosa and his government and, you know, installing whoever they feel like as the political leader of the country. However, the incidents of looting and the incidence of stealing, like, really basic stuff, um, whether that is food that people can readily eat or goods that people can readily sell in order to buy other stuff... That, I think, is reflective of a bigger issue of poverty and a bigger issue of genuine suffering that most of our country goes through. However, it's not as simple as saying these are the people who are suffering and are really hungry and they are on one side and on the other side you have these insurrectionists. And that is where the difficulty comes in. And it's hard when there are these blurred lines and that's not necessarily good news. Because it's kind of like if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, you have a bad heart, all we have to do is get you a heart transplant and everything else should be fine. That's easy, relatively. Um, There's one problem, and if you fix that one problem, you know, you should be fine. The issue at hand is that it's kind of like your body is in some sort of organ failure, and there's a million issues that the doctor needs to figure out how to address, without endangering your life and trying to give you the maximum chance of survival. So how do you operate on someone who has hemophilia and who is also diabetic and who is also allergic to penicillin and who doesn't take too well to anesthetic and who has bad liver and who only has one working kidney? And I don't even know if that makes anatomical sense, but the basic premise is It's not just a heart transplant that South Africa needs. It is an entire lifestyle change that includes replacing some organs with others, uh, but also includes doing some really important restructuring. So we can debate forever and ever whether people were manipulated into supporting this insurrection or whether people just joined riots as soon as they saw them happening because they really really needed to find a way to get food and that looked like a good chance. Or whether other people are just greedy and have the only motive of getting more stuff. We can debate that and I think that there's probably truth to all of the above. The problem is that these sort of insurrections and these sort of unrests that are sustained over so many days and that are allowed to get to the level that they were allowed to get to, only happen in a society that has some issues that make the environment conducive to these types of problems. So if we ever want to prevent this from happening again, because number one, we value our democracy. Number two, we don't want our businesses and our value chains to be messed up. Number three, we don't want our homes to be invaded. We don't want the environment around us to be burnt down. We don't want to lose more than 200 lives. If that is our motive, if that is our goal, then we need to figure out how we got here, and we need to prevent that from ever happening again. So as I've been saying, it's, I think, a variety of problems, but the main point to take away from all of this is that the context that we live in, in South Africa, is absolutely ripe for this type of insurrection, And that's because we have so many social problems, we have so many social cleavages, we have so much distance between the floor and the ceiling, that there is a lot of space, a lot of space, for anyone with any motive, nefarious or otherwise, to try and destabilize our country. Because we're not that stable to begin with. And that's the problem. So why aren't we stable? And in what ways are we unstable? Number one, the expanded unemployment rate is higher than 40%. That is insanely high. A government pass is 30%. So this is higher than the pass rate, okay? The unemployment rate is doing better than the pass rate. That's an issue, firstly. Secondly, we have more than 70% youth unemployment which is enough of a pass mark to get into like a postgraduate degree. And that's considered prestigious. So our youth unemployment rate is skyrocketing, reaching new heights over here. And then we have this problem of extreme poverty. And poverty is like a word that we have used so often that it feels like it doesn't mean anything anymore. But contextually, it's absolutely devastating. More than half our population lives on Less than 1,300 rand a month. Less than 1,300 rand a month. But 11 million South Africans earn less than 28 rand a day. This is the really scary number. 28 rand a day. If you go onto ShopRite's website, you'll see that you can get a loaf of bread of 600 grams for 5 rand. Um, And you can get a smooth peanut butter 400 gram jar for 27 rand. Oh wait, that's more than the 28 rand that more than 11 million people in South Africa live on. So I guess you could just buy the peanut butter and eat out of the jar and that's all you'll eat for the entire day. If you spend all of your money on food, that's all you'll eat the entire day. Forget everything else that you have to pay for. Um, and if you have a peanut allergy, then shame. Don't buy the peanut butter because you will not be able to afford any sort of health care. Now, here's the space that I was talking about from the floor to the ceiling. So let's talk about CEOs and how much they earn, right? The maths say that they earn approximately 1,519 rand per hour, per hour. But okay, fine. Let's assume that CEOs work so incredibly hard that they deserve that much in remuneration. Fine, forget forget CEOs. Let's rather look at public servants, after all, who are called the public servants because they are accountable to us, the public. How much does, I don't know, your favorite cupcake earn without a pay increase? Because our... Members of Parliament are so kind. Without a pay increase from last year till this year, the current earnings of President Ramaphosa is 2.99 million rand a year. But uh, I mean, maybe that's just just a big number. What, is, what does that even mean? You know, I'm not good at maths. So this is the figures taken from various websites and a little bit of my own calculations. Earning that much means that he earns 249,000 rand a month and further that he earns about 11,318 rand a day and approximately 1,616 rand per hour, which means that the amount of 28 rand per day that 11 million South Africans earn is the same amount that Cyril Ramaphosa earns Per minute. Per He earns 27 rand a minute. And we have people, 11 million of them, who earn 28 rand a day. Yeah. I did not eat peanut butter, but I feel nauseous. And I know that a lot of people are going to say that we inherited inequality from apartheid. True. Correct. 100% correct. We did. We really genuinely did. The biggest driver of inequality at the moment is income. So that is something that is in government's power to change. The labor market is the biggest cause of continuing inequality because what I spoke about is earnings. I did not speak about wealth. I did not speak about what people owned before apartheid and after apartheid and assets that they might have invested in long ago. I'm talking about what people who are working in democratic South Africa right now earn. So, yeah, Apartheid sucked. And Apartheid did a lot of stupid, bad things to us on purpose to keep us divided, to keep us unequal, to privilege white people. We can acknowledge all of that. But at the same time, are we, as Democratic South Africa, using all the tools that we have to undo everything that Apartheid did? No. We are, instead, having people sit in government earning 27 rand a minute. So no, I'm not saying that looting is justified. I'm not saying that rioting is justified. I'm not saying that it's okay and acceptable to burn things and to assault people and to murder people and to burn their houses down. That's not at all what I'm saying. Nowhere in that entire long rant will you find a justification or an excuse. More so, what I'm trying to say is that the country that we live in is inherently unsustainable. There is no way a society can function when that is the difference between the floor and the ceiling. And then if we look at the admission that government knew beforehand, that there was going to be some sort of an insurrection, some sort of an uproar, some sort of an uprising, if you will, and yet they did nothing to stop this insurrection. Um, Instead, they let millions of rands of infrastructure get damaged. Instead, they let people's lives be lost. Instead, they let people's businesses be completely destroyed. Instead, they let people be subject to insane amounts of trauma. That was information given to us, by the way, by Deputy Minister of State Security, Zizi Kodwa, who just, I mean, (laughs) irrelevant, earns 1.97 million rand a year. So he himself admitted that they had intelligence about this plot. And they still let all of that happen. And he earns 1.97 million rand a year just to tell us that. So yeah, what I'm actually saying is that we are justified in being angry. In fact, we need to be angrier, I think. And that doesn't mean that anger must play out in burning things or in killing people. That's not what I'm saying. I think that anger needs to play out in constructive ways. Anger needs to play out in the fact that I need to be upset that there's 11 million people earning less than 28 Rand a day. That needs to upset me. I may not be part of that group, but I cannot accept that. And neither should the flipping CEOs that are earning 1,519 Rand an hour, and neither should Sir Ramaphosa, who earns 27 Rand a minute, none of us should be accepting that the gap between the ceiling and the floor is so massive. If we accept that, all we do is perpetuate the current state that we have. And all we do then is invite people to be able to establish popular uprisings, to be able to take advantage of any sort of social cleavage and use it for their own personal gain. But what is the difference between them using uprisings for their own personal gain and us living in our privilege, ignoring the plight of every single person around us for our personal gain. You know, what is the difference? One looks more violent, one does cost lives, but how many lives are we neglecting by being comfortable in the way that South Africa currently is set up? An insurrection like this, and I'm so glad that it failed, an insurrection like this, though, is bound to be resuscitated for as long as the conditions for one exist. The estimated cost of the losses that we've experienced the past week and most of these losses are concentrated in KwaZulu-Natal is about 16 billion rand so far. 16 billion rand is an insanely big amount. Having said that, in 2019, Cyril Ramaphosa himself admitted that corruption in democratic South Africa has costed us almost a trillion rand. That was in 2019. I'm not trying to say that one is okay. What I'm trying to say is that we were scared for our lives this week. And we are upset by the amount of economic devastation that has happened in the past week. But we must never ever forget the amount of violence that people in poverty face every single day. And the amount of violence that corruption itself perpetuates South African public servants would be failing our country if we were the most unequal nation in the world, only. They would be failing us if we had one of the highest youth unemployment rates, only. They would be failing us if they consistently stole money from our public funds, only. And yet, they do all of those things. All of those things are things that happen in South Africa every single day. And that's why people were trying to explain that this sort of insurrection was inevitable. Regardless of what the intentions were of the nefarious people who were behind this insurrection and whether they supported Zuma or not or whatever it was, the fact is you can encourage people to loot en masse and to burn whatever buildings you identify and to damage infrastructure that's really critical to South Africa. Because South Africa does not work for them. You don't even necessarily have to convince them of the case for Zuma or the case against Ramaphosa specifically. All you have to convince people of is that they deserve better, which is inherently true. If we don't give people a just solution to the current lives that they live, then anyone can encourage them to do anything on the basis of a better future. Because pretty much everything is better than the current lives that the poverty-stricken live in in this country. And the point is not to just sit with us for the next week and a half and be upset and be, feel hopeless. Um, because the truth is that there is possibility for change. It's just hard work. But it's hard work allowing a state as unequal and unfair and unjust as South Africa to be maintained. And that hard work has always been put on the backs of the poor. So we need to do the hard work that prevents this perpetuation of poverty, this perpetuation of inequality, this perpetuation of hate, this perpetuation of oppression. Um, And that hard work can look like many different things. And this is the tiny sliver of optimism that's in this entire episode, that there's many ways for us to work together to fix things. There's many ways for us to Build a state that serves all of us. Number one has to be that we will not accept a state that moves forward without majority of the population. We all have to move forward, all of us. We have to narrow that gap from the floor to the ceiling. We have to. We absolutely have to. And we can't accept anything less. We can't accept this slow, gradual, maybe one day one person will escape poverty and that will be the success story. That's not the country that we can live in that's not the country that we can accept we have to push every single day for things like increasing minimum wage for things like paying grants so check out pay the grants not an ad we need to argue and fight for better public services because how can it be that if we have enough money we can just bypass the public services and use private services and we don't really care what happens to those who have no choice but to use public services. It cannot be that way anymore. We can't have the most lucrative business be being a member of parliament. How can that be? The, the reason people should want to be parliamentarians is because they get to serve their community, not because they are for sure going to be millionaires. That cannot be the incentive that we allow to happen. We have to have feedback mechanisms where when we identify that there are problems with the way government relates to its people, that we can see those changes implemented quickly, that government takes communities seriously, that government organizes with people on the ground in grassroots movements. We have to make sure that the economy and the society that we live in doesn't serve the minority, doesn't serve those who are already rich, doesn't serve those who have social capital, doesn't serve those who... Because a South Africa that continues to perpetuate oppression against the poor is not a South Africa that we can accept, regardless of whether we are poor or not. So for the next week, just take some time and write down all the problems you can identify in the country. And if you find some solutions while you're thinking about it, write those down as well. Talk to your friends, talk to your family. If they don't feel like talking to you, then talk to me at AMAARAHG on Twitter and Instagram. Work on trying to envision a better path because we have no choice but to make a better path. Even if half of us leave the country, there will still be people left over. There will still be people who need a better life, who need a better society. So we have no choice but to make one. Put simply, here's to us and here's to hope.